This reading will be from Luke chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. Luke chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country, and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. Good morning. I don't know what we'd do if we had the 39 people that are in Tennessee in our pews today. I don't see much room for 39 people, so uh, it's good to have everybody out. We've got a lot of visitors, I noticed, a lot of faces I don't know, so welcome to you, and uh, hopefully you're able to participate with us and enjoy our worship service this morning. Really appreciate always the, the uh, preparation that the leaders of our worship service put into, into the service, so thank you for that. And um, I want to talk to you about Luke chapter 9 this morning. So why don't you go ahead and secure a Bible and open up to Luke chapter 9. We're going to read a few things in Luke chapter 9 together. But I want to tell you about something a 20th century Swiss theologian said uh, in his treatise called The Word and the World. He wrote, and this is a famous quote that has stuck uh, over the centuries. He said this, he said, The church exists by mission as a fire exists by burning. The church exists by mission as, the, as a fire exists by burning. Now, maybe you're sharper than I am, probably are. It took me a little while to really let that sink in. But I think the idea is that just as burning uh, leads us to uh, the consuming effect of the fire, so mission is to be the consuming effect of the world upon the church. Where there's something burning, there's fire, right? Okay, so where there's the church, you'll find mission, I think is the idea behind that. Uh, provoked my thoughts nonetheless. You know, we're the result of mission. Uh, Jesus, to begin with, maybe you should even back up further and say God, uh, who reached down through Him to rescue us, but Jesus in His mission to seek and save the lost, and then to turn things over into the hands of disciples who would, as Paul said to Timothy, uh, take this word as you've received it and teach others who will teach others and, and share this with the world. And here we are nearly 2,000 years later. That is remarkable that it has traveled across oceans and into every part of the world and is shared not just with families with their children, as you might expect parents to do with something that, that is endeared to them to hand down to their parents, but, but, but people to strangers going into jungles and going into cities, which can be like jungles, and going into places that they're not comfortable with, they're not familiar with, and, and sharing this message. It's really remarkable that we're here, but we're here by mission, and we're here for mission. And the neat thing about Luke 8 to Luke 9 is a transition takes place. It's really notable. Now, I read through it a couple of times before it was that notable. But if you're really paying attention to what Jesus is doing and, and how he's trying to teach people, you'll catch it in that in Luke chapter 8, 
the focus is on Jesus as he's on mission. He's a man on fire. It's about him. He's the man. And all else, watch and learn. I mean, just follow along and, and observe and just be in awe. In Luke chapter 9, he starts poking and prodding others to do some things. The scripture reading was ultimately that point where he said to the disciples, when they said, send these people away, he said, you give them something to eat. Whoa, you know, that's not what he's been doing. And so that's the kind of transition I'm talking about. And I would like you to write along with me, if you would, through this chapter, not the whole thing. We don't have time to go through the whole thing, but at least the first parts of it to see how he's starting to train not only the 12, but ultimately the 12 to train others who will train others, who becomes us in the ministry and mission of training others to serve in the name of Jesus Christ, the gospel to the world primarily, through good works. First thing he did in the first verses was to delegate to them Power and authority. Power and authority. Watch how this happens. So he got into the boat. Oh, I'm in Matthew. How do you like that? This happened to be in uh, Matthew 9. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He said to them, take nothing for the journey. That's comforting, isn't it? Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. In other words, don't take extra baggage. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They literally walked out to do this with nothing. Nothing in hand. Go, go through Galilee, the towns and villages. That'd be like telling us... I want you to go through Fairfield County, a bigger region than that. But just imagine Fairfield County. I want you to go out into Fairfield County. You're going to walk, and I don't want you to take anything with you. You're going to sleep with people you don't know. Stay with people you don't know. You're going to stay with people you don't know. You're going to uh, be received or rejected. I don't know what you're going to run into. You just be ready for. And you just keep on going if you're rejected. It's fascinating. <laughs> this, is like, uh, this is like the disciples' version of boot camp, except at boot camp they still have equipment, you know? This is kind of like it's time for you to toughen up here a little bit. They've been following him now for some time, uh, over a year, and, you know, they're staying with him out on the mountain. No sleeping bags, I don't think. I don't think they're carrying sleeping bags and pillows, do you? Uh, they're sleeping open air. I mean, that's a big deal for us. With a sleeping bag and a pillow, I slept out in the open air just looking at the stars. I like a tent at least, all right? At least a tent. Then I feel like I'm camping. They're out 
enduring the rigors of his ministry with him. So they're introduced to the challenge of it. But it's a different thing when the master says, go out away from me without me there and do this on your own. They were not to rely on any earthly thing or comfort for what turned out to be probably at least several weeks, probably several months. No earthly comforts. If somebody receives you into their home, just just stay there, okay? There's so many things inherent in this church, but a total reliance on God is what they're going to portray. That's what Jesus wants the world to see in them, a total reliance on God. They would soon be tasked not just to go into the villages and towns of Galilee, but to go where? Into the outermost parts of the world. So they're thinking, this is a big deal. I mean, he's not going with us. We don't have anything. Anything? Like food? Nothing. What they don't know is Jesus is thinking, this is just your honeymoon, boys. (laughs) This is honeymoon period. I'm sending you out into places where they don't speak your language, where they are not Jewish, and where they're going to take you into their councils in cuffs, and they're going to beat you, and they're going to torture you, they're going to kick you out of here. You're going to suffer for this. You know, the little trip around Galilee, it's like a little honeymoon. So he's graduating them. He's graduating them. What a... Let's just stop for a minute. just want you to think about how tough Jesus was. Seriously. What a tough individual uh, to be able to endure ministry like this every day. Dawn to dusk and then, and then pray all night. Sleeping out with no pillows. Foxes have holes to sleep in. I don't have a place to lay my head, guys. All right, the birds there have nests. Our nest is just, you know, if you can scrape together some sawgrass over here, make yourself a little mattress, that's going to be your nest for tonight if you're hanging out with me. Food? Don't worry about food. You're not going to starve to death. You're going to be all right. All right, God will take care of you. But I'm hungry. All right. So they're getting a taste right off the bat here of being out on their own in mission And yet, I want you to understand they're not alone at all. This is practice. Secondly, He gave them power and authority. Secondly, He gave them opportunity to step up. In verses 9 through 18, uh, 11 through 18, when the multitudes knew it, that is, that, that... uh, they had escaped out for some R&R after this mission, uh, this limited commission of the twelve. When the multitudes knew it, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions for we're in a deserted place here. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. 
And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. And we know from other accounts there was a lad there that happened to bring some stuff with him, right? Just a young boy. He said, unless we go and buy food for all these people, and we don't have that much money, is implied in that. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and twelve baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them, and it happened as he was alone praying. And I'm just going to stop right there. Kudos to the disciples. They're thoughtful. Uh, they're compassionate. It's getting dark, kind of looking around at these multitudes of people, and they start worrying about them. Okay, now they've been toughened up a little. Notice they don't say, let us go back and get a place to sleep. They're toughened up a little bit. They're like, well, we're going to stay here on the mountain with Jesus tonight <laughs> again. But all these people, this could be bad. Uh, they're going to be hungry. There may be young children with them. We need to dismiss them so that they can go into the towns and villages and find food and lodging because we've traveled out a ways enough that they're either going to be walking back in the dark or they're thoughtful guys, right? I mean, they're learning. Give them credit where credit's due, right? But he says to them, you feed them. All right. You're standing there with Jesus. And he turns to you and he says, you feed them. And he's serious. What are you going to do? Like, let's make this real. What what, would you do? Even if you said, okay, I have faith. um, I have faith that we can do this. Guys, let's do this. All right. What are you going to do? Like, are you going to say something? Um, are you going to take the two fish and the five loaves? The five loaves and two fish or two fish? I'm 40-some years old and I still can't remember. Five loaves and two fish. Are you going to, like, dice them up into little pieces and distribute it and hope that miraculously somehow it fills them up? Or what? What are you going to do? All right, so they were perplexed. But Jesus gave them a little time to think about that. And then he still didn't let them off the hook. He engaged them in ministry. He said, make them sit down in groups of 50. So picture in your mind what happens next. Okay, they, they flunked their little test. And Jesus is going to walk them through this. They still are tasked with you make them sit down in groups of 50. So they disperse and they're talking to the people and saying, get in groups of about 50 you know, why, what, what, just, just do it, you know, have faith, Jesus is here, and, and they're actually participating now in a miracle. They're participants. So Jesus didn't totally let them off the hook. He said, okay, you're going to help me with this one. I'm going to let you get a little taste of what it is to be a part of God's power. All right, now, yes, they had just cast out demons and so forth, in the name of Jesus, but like Jesus is doing all the work. Here it's like you feed them. Like get your own dirt, you know that little joke? 
okay, well, where are we going to get the stuff to do this? Okay, so you see that this is a new level. They go out and they do what they're supposed to do. Now, what does Jesus do with the five loaves and the two fish? Take a look at the text. What does he do with the five loaves and the two fish in verse 16? Didn't he just pray? He, he blessed them. He looked up to heaven. That's big. He looked up to heaven. He blessed them and broke them and began to pass it out to the disciples said, disperse this to the people. All right, back to what would you do? Do you know what they should have done? They should have said, let's pray and start passing these things out and let God do what God does. Let's pray. Let's look toward heaven first. This is the beginning point of anything worthy in the name of God. This is the beginning point of every mission, ministry, or simple good work that the church is tasked to take up. Look to heaven and pray, God, provide. I don't know how. He's going to do it. They didn't know how he was going to do it, but when he said, just make them sit in groups, he simply took the food, the little bit of food, and looked up to heaven and blessed it and broke it and handed it out. I think that's what he wanted them to think about doing. Ask God to help you. And I believe it would have been done the same way. What do you think? Take that home and think about it. But don't miss this. Look to heaven and pray. God will provide. Without God in the world, men must plot their own course, make their own way, meet their own needs. You could call that humanism. It's what humanism is. Where we plot our own course, make our own way, and meet our own needs. But when you're one with God and you're in sync with God's work in the world, in His mission, when you're involved with Him in mission, He is the one who plots the course, makes the way, and meets the needs. He does that. He has never said, I'm going to tell you what to do and you go generate the power and you go generate the ideas and you receive the praise. You go out to do the work I will provide and you just bring them and point them toward me. So, the third thing for today is this. Not only does he delegate power and authority, not only does he give them opportunity to step out and learn how to do this, he empowers them with the news of his impending death. That sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? That's not what you expect to come out with it. He empowers them with the news of his impending death. Would you read with me chapter 9, verse 18? 
We'll pick up there and read through 25. And it happened as he was alone praying. So that's what he was doing when they finished up with this great task and came back to him. That his disciples joined him and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and others say one of the old prophets has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. And he strictly warned them and commanded them to tell this to no one. I'll add in parentheses, yet. (laughs) Tell this to no one, saying, now listen to this. This is empowering. To them at first it's depressing. But I'm, I'm, I'm purporting to you, he's empowering them with this statement. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. That's the Sanhedrin council right there. The elders, chief priests, and scribes. And be killed, there's the Romans, and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Wow, why now? Like, why now? They're coming back from this great miracle. He's just allowed them to step up and be a part of this great miracle. It's because the miracles aren't the end all. We're not just to receive a holy wow from the miracles and go, oh, there's a God, there's got to be a God, the atheists are fools. People need to know that Jesus Christ died for them to take away their sins. Guys, who do you say that I am? (laughs) From this today, you're the Christ of God. Okay. I am going to be betrayed. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be crucified. But I'm going to rise again on the third day. You know what this is screaming out? It is my choice. It is by design that this happens. You now know that I can speak things into existence. You you now know that there is no man who can actually handcuff me, lead me to a cross, and force me up there and kill me. You know that, don't you? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you can speak and they can drop dead. Okay, you got that. You know who I am. I am the one who has been foretold from the beginning that will come to save man from their sins. And I'm telling you, the time is now coming. You guys need to get ready for this because I'm going to turn things over to you. I then must go to the cross and die for you and for all men. But I'll be raised. I'll be a living Savior. Now, let that sink in, right? The miracles... And the power always point to the message. They need to get it first. And I want to I point out one more thing about this. Why did he say, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me? 
First of all, he's instilled this deep-rooted love of God. God so uh, God demonstrated his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is it right here. He's telling them this. While men are sinners, I'm going to cho- I'm choosing to go to the cross by the plan of God. So he, he instills this deep-seated love of God. Now he's instilling a deep-seated sense of dignity in all of us. I, the Son of God, am going to die for you. And if you desire to come after me, what that means is you're going to have to then return the glory of your life back to God, your Creator, who created you for His glory, not for your own glory, not for your recreation, not for your personal enjoyment. He created you to bring Him glory by reflecting His nature in the world. So you're going to go out and you're going to preach this message, but you have to understand that this is not child's play. This is not a game. This is not really your choice that if you want to be one with God, you'll have to be one with me. I'm going to a cross. Can you follow me there? Peter, I'll I'll go to prison and die with you, will you? So he he instilled, now listen, that instills dignity. That, that, to me, says I'm really deeply worth a lot to God. Does it not you? I'm worth a lot. That He would come and die for me so that I could return to my original purpose for being here, and that is to have a relation with, relationship with Him that brings glory and honor to me and my life, but to Him, first and foremost. And he instills a deep level of devotion, does he not? A deep level of devotion. To follow Christ might mean that you fall out with men. To save your life here, your reputation, your image that you've built, and all these things that you're constructing for men to see about you and to be praised by men. All these things that you want to put out for people to see about you. If you try to save that, you're going to lose your soul. You'll miss this. It'll be clouded up. Thorns and briars. But if you're willing to lose your life for God, you'll save your life. You'll save it. You'll save your soul. That is your life. You're eternal. You're an eternal creature. You'll save that. You'll be one with God. You'll you'll be saved from that day where He comes and pours out His wrath on all the ungodliness of men. You won't be a part of that. You'll actually be plucked out, separated, sanctified, set apart for a holy purpose. The Lord has demonstrated that through Jesus, the disciples can do all things. And by necessary inference, church, the disciples today can do all things. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, just like Paul. I can be rich 
and still be faithful. I can be without, like the disciples were when he said, don't take anything with you, just go. I can be without and be faithful. I can learn how to do that if I've lost my life. That is that one that I've been building for all these years for everybody to be impressed with. If I can just let go of that, I'll keep it. God is the one who's able, as Paul wrote, to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now may He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched for everything, in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Perhaps the greatest question of all in this text is that before Christians begin gospelizing, proclaiming and bringing the gospel with them in their good works, before you do that within your spheres of influence, or going into all the world, getting on a mission trip, going out, have you received the gospel into your own heart? That's what Jesus did here. He set them up to be able to go do something, but He said, what profit would it, gain, would it be to you if you gained the whole world, let's say materially, and lost your own soul? What profit would it be if you won a thousand people to Jesus and lost your own soul? Paul warned against that in 2 Corinthians, didn't he? He said, I buffet my body. I discipline my body daily like an athlete so that in sharing the gospel with the multitudes, I myself do not become disqualified. Can you imagine? You get up to heaven and go, where's Paul? Well, he was disqualified because down in his heart, the gospel hadn't cleaned out all of his self. Paul says, that's real. That can happen. So, Look down into your own recesses of your heart and ask, has the gospel completely reached me to where I am not interested any longer in trying to please everybody uh, or be everything to everybody or be an image of greatness to everybody? I'm interested in being about my Creator through the Savior, trying to give myself to other people. That's the great question of this text, perhaps, for us personally today. And I want to uh, provide an opportunity here, the church does at this time, for people to respond either to become a disciple of Jesus Christ by uniting together with Him in the likeness of His death, putting your faith in God that when you go into a watery grave of water, that your old self dies, and when you come up out, he says, I will look at that and say, you are alive again in me to give us his Holy Spirit. Or if you are a Christian that needs seriously needs the prayers of the church, you can take this opportunity and we'll pray with you today before you leave and give you God's power to help you to change into the image of God. Let's stand and sing this song.